Welcome back everyone to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that we cover two episodes of the series every podcast and today we come to Korra Season 4, Episode 5, Enemy at the Gates. Uh, the episode is written by Joshua Hamilton, and it's directed by Ian Graham. It's animated, beautifully as always, by Studio Mir. Which, quick note on that, by the way. I was so mm -hmm. surprised and so pleased just this past week. So, season two of Star Wars Visions came out, and mm -hmm. uh, there, was, there was an episode of it, one of the vignettes that's told in it. And for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with Star Wars Visions, um, it's basically a collection of short stories that are... Um, star wars run star wars yeah. yeah pretty much but like the handed to a bunch of different studios um and this uh this season i was watching volume two of star wars visions and one of them is made by none other than studio mir called journey to the stark uh journey to the dark head and my gosh like i thought i it was such a <laughs> like a like a I don't know, I'm going to say a blast from the past, but it's not my past, it's your past, but my present, <laughs> right. as we've been watching Legend of Korra, as I'm, like, watching all the animation, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally, like, a Studio Mir action sequence right there. Like, that's a that's a Studio Mir mm -hmm. scene right there. That's, like, a Studio Mir shot that's set up so perfectly. Oh, that's so Studio Mir the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, I I haven't gotten to watch the whole episode yet, but I did watch because I looked it up after you told me mm -hmm. that you know you were watching it and it was really good. I looked up the uh, the final fight scene, I think it was, yep. just to see what how the action was animated because that was what I was super interested in seeing. And yeah, it was very very Studio Mir, but like upped. It's more anime than like say Korra oh, yeah. or uh, Avatar. Um, but the way that they just animate in general, you feel every punch every kick every like fall you know they're just so good at conveying weight and you know movement through their animation so they obviously they killed it as always with uh star wars and i would love to see studio mir take on an entire star wars series i don't know like because i personally i like because i'm not a big anime fan as mm -hmm. anybody that listens knows um, I would love to have a more Legend of Korra, you know, avatar look where it's like Western type animation, but done through anime studios like Studio Mir. Mm -hmm. um, so you get a nice melding of the two. And I would love to have that for Star Wars, honestly. Like that's something I feel like they've been missing is getting like a really mature, you know, even dark animated series for Star Wars. Because usually like, you know, there are moments of darkness, obviously, you know, throughout Clone Wars and Rebels, but overall they're pretty fun, lighthearted kids shows that kids right. can watch and enjoy as well as adults. But like, I would love an Andor animated, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you gotta get really, like, really, really, truly gritty in there. Yeah. The, yes, um, I want it. <laughs> Journey to the Dark Head was, was great. And yeah, definitely they need to make a folding series out of that, so... And also, you didn't even mention this, but the main bad guy in that vignette is voiced by, what was it, Daniel Day Kim? Uh-huh, yep. Who is 
playing Daddy Ozai in the live action Netflix series, so it all comes back. It does. It all comes back. It's like Studio Beer. Studio Beer picked up the phone and they were just he's like, say less. Who do you got from Avatar? I'm there. <laughs> so we can do. <laughs> yes, we love it. So yeah, just it was so fun seeing Studio Mir involved with that. And so I don't know. I this entire thing has turned me into like a giant Studio Mir stan. Like all <laughs> right. of Legend, if there's one takeaway from Legend of Korra, it's that. Um, yes. Uh, also, apparently, that I like silver foxes. Anyway, uh, the episode aired <laughs> October 31st, 2014, and the IMDb. Baby. Oh my gosh, you're right. I jumped right over yeah. that. It was on Halloween. Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing that <laughs> Halloween. I wasn't out trick or treating. I was watching watching Legend of Korra. Kuvier <laughs> just rolls up in front of Zalfu. She's like trick or treat. <laughs> trick or treat, motherfucker. <laughs> Love it. She pretty, would. <laughs> pretty much. It really was that. And the IMD the IMDb rating of Enemy at the Gates is eight point four out of ten. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. Alrighty, uh, we got actually a couple. Um, our first fun fact is a scene of Kavira using metal bending to perform target practice was cut from the final storyboard, being viewed by the production crew as an unnecessary action scene that would have had too many animation and design hurdles to manage. I really want to see that though. Like, just I don't know, seeing her go full like <laughs> sicko mode on a target practice range, <laughs> like. With her, like, you know, whatever they're called, the little sheets of metal that she loves using, like, well, and you it know, would be really cool. And, you know, like, I can, I don't know exactly what the whole point of the target practice scene would have been, but I think it would have been cool to have had a scene like that and watching her use them and, like, with lethal moves on the training dummy. It's just to, like, show that oh, she's know. prepared to do damage. Whereas <laughs> up until now, we've really only seen her, like, bind people's arms and legs or, like, wrap the sheets mm-hmm. over their eyes to blind them or over their mouths. Like, she's... Yeah, like, she usually just disables the people, but she never, like, takes them out with the metal. And you know that she's not above that. No. <laughs> like, we all know. <laughs> but it would have been cool to have seen it. Um, and for our second fun fact... Varric's exclamation that head voices are liars was improvised uh, by the actor John Michael Higgins. That's awesome. I love that line. Head voices are liars. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it, like I could almost tell when I first watched the episode because like I always remembered that specific line, mm-hmm. um, and because it, it felt like it was improvised. Yeah. Like I just was like, I wonder if that. And now my suspicions were confirmed because yes, he did in fact improvise that line, and it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then our third and final fun fact is that Kavira's desire to share Zaufu's advancements with the Earth Kingdom mirrors Fire Lord Sozin's desire to share the Fire Nation's wealth with the world in Avatar and the Fire Lord, the season three episode. Or Yeah, no, season three. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing that I don't know if people like caught on to it when it first aired, but I did because I'd seen Avatar a million times up to that point. Um that her sentiments were basically exactly the same as Fire Lord Sozin's when he was talking with Roku um, in Avatar and the Fire Lord about how prosperous and wealthy the Fire Nation was. And like, it was their duty to expand it and share it with the world. And I'm like, no, (laughs) 
like that's that's called conquering Sozin. Like it's not what you think. Yeah. And yeah, Kavir. It, again, history never changes. Um, <laughs> Kavir's doing the exact same thing. <laughs> and Avatar Avatar Roku is there. He's like, but Sozin that kills people. <laughs> <laughs> the people <laughs> yeah no let everything burn um i've got a i've got a yeah. hankering that only imperialism can. <laughs> yes oh, this man. is just carl the llama no um yeah and that's the last of our fun facts man man there's some heavy stuff there there's fun facts there we got like kuvira just decapitating targets and we didn't get to see it we got the whole like philosophy over fire lord sozin's imperialism and how it echoes with kuvira and you know what we might as well just jump in with that in the story because that is basically the plot of these two episodes kuvira just comes rolling up and as you said it's halloween and here comes you know kuvira and she's like hi i'm in my best darth vader outfit here i bet you didn't know it was me under here i'm commanding the empire i'm force choking people on a train yep literally that was the direct force choke like reference Mm -hmm. yeah it's no wonder that she like makes sure all of her underlings have like metal armored collars around their necks but she's like it's so that those darn earthbenders don't hit you in the throat with rocks (laughs) totally there to protect you it's just an aesthetic choice it's an aesthetic choice yes um but yeah, the, I mean, the entire plot here is she comes rolling up to Zalfu with her entire army, um, basically just demanding that the last holdout of the Earth Kingdom's territories bow the knee to her and join the Empire. Mm-hmm. And of course, they won't. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> why would they? They're the safest city in the entire world. Ever since, you ever notice, ever since Suyin said this is like the safest city in the whole world, how incredibly unsafe <laughs> it has been? It's probably been the most unsafe city in the entire world ever since then. Yep. Yeah, she jinxed herself. Oops. We say it all the time. So my family are big sports fans. Uh and we watch mm. lots of sports. We watch football, what you Americans call soccer. Um oh, and then we so I know. And we watch we watch baseball and we watch tennis and watch all kinds of stuff. And every time that they're like here he comes up to the plate and he has never struck out in his last 10 at bats this guy and the next thing happens is he strikes out yeah exactly and as soon as somebody says something and quotes a stat we always just look at each other we're like well now this is the moment it's gonna get screwed up it's almost like it was Mm -hmm. recorded pre-recorded and the announcer was dubbed in (laughs) over it to make it ironic it's so predictable. Mm. So yeah, I think that's what happened here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So basically, don't jinx yourself, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, speaking of Su Yin, this is something that I really wanted to talk about for this episode because, as I was saying before we actually started recording, this episode is really just a bunch of character moments. Like it's a lot of people talking, which is it's not bad, but it's a lot of people talking, a lot of people, you know just having character moments with each other. There is one minor fight at the end, but it's really mostly just that character stuff. And one of the biggest things that I feel is really, I don't know. I feel like the whole scene with Su Yin uh, talking with Korra and explaining about basically uh, Kavira's background, like her, her history. Mm. I feel like that literally could have been its own episode. Because she explains so much that we don't see 
that would have informed so much about her character before like we get to this point. So basically, Su Yin is talking with Korra and Korra's asking, you know, what happened to Kavira? Like, why did she get to this point? And Su Yin tells her that she, Su Yin, adopted uh, Kavira when she was eight years old. And that she basically raised her as her own daughter, as a protege. She was super um, skilled in metal bending and earth bending. And like she rose through the ranks. And I'm like, why are we not seeing this? Like, why are you just telling us this? Right. Like, I don't know. That I feel like that whole, that just one section of her story could have been like the beginning of an episode. And then you could like flash forward or maybe you're going back and forth between like the past and the present. I mean, we did it. We did it a bunch. We've done it a bunch of times in Korra so far. I mean, we, we even found an inventive way to do that in the episode where Lin comes to Zalfu and she went to see the acupuncturist and like literally has flashbacks. So there's all kinds of clever yeah. ways to like integrate flashbacks without just sitting us down for four, four minutes and being like, let me tell you all real quick to catch you up on this character's backstory that you didn't see just so that you know yeah and like and this isn't really like a problem but even the way like it's fine if you want to just tell don't show but if you're going to do that at least make the shots dynamic or like meaningful if you're going to do that like i don't know it it looked if i remember correctly they were out in like the metal bending yard when you know cora and suyin were talking why couldn't they have been in like Suyin's living room and maybe she picks up a picture of young Kuvira and her, you know what I mean? Like just showing little details, like even though we're not seeing a full flashback, but like showing that, yes, at one point, this was basically one of her kids. Like, and it's really heartbreaking that like we've gone down this path and she not only lost Kuvira, but also her oldest son. And I'm like, so much of this again would have hit so much harder. I feel like if we just saw that kind of stuff happen and play out in flashbacks, um, but yeah, so after, you know, she rose, after Kavir rose through the ranks, um, Su Yin was offered to basically run the Earth Kingdom after the Earth Queen's death three years ago. She was like asked by President Raiko and Tenzin if she would basically step up and lead. And she said no, because she didn't want to be seen as a conqueror. She didn't want to impose her ideals on an entire nation. And I mean, that makes sense. She had every right to say no. But Kavira also happened to be in the room and tried to talk her into, you know, doing just that. And that caused a rift between them because they had, you know, they disagreed very strongly about, you know, positions of power within the Earth Kingdom. And so Kavira just kind of fucks off with her son and a bunch of her, you know, metal benders. Yeah, it just happened. And... They kind of happened really fast in the flashback. It oh, I know. It's so, her explanation is so abbreviated. I'm not going to lie. It, it was so abbreviated. I don't know if it was just the way it's written. I mean, you know the rest of the, how the rest of the season and technically the rest of the series pans out, but it almost made it seem like stuff was omitted that from Kavira's point of view, like more detail would like show it. You know, sort of like a Luke, what happened in the hut versus Ben Solo, what happened in the right. hut sort of thing. Like, oh, that's not the and whole again. story that perfect example that would have been a great way to tell this entire like story within the story mm. of kavira and you know suyin and their opposing ideals and views on how that happened like how this all unfolded and like 
I feel like that could have been really interesting if you did take, maybe you took Su Yin, Kuvira, and maybe even Batar. Like, what if we got different views from each? Like, say, I don't know. I'm, I'm literally just riffing here. I didn't think I was going to talk this much about this, but I am very you, passionate. I was going to say, apparently there movie. is strong feelings you didn't know you had about yes! this episode. So go, go off, <laughs> okay. Queen. We're here for it. Go off, Queen. So say that the episode starts. This whole episode just focuses on this like moment like this her being asked to come rule the earth kingdom in place of the earth queen who's now dead and then the fallout of that of her saying no um so start with suyin it's basically exactly what we see you know we see the whole scene obviously longer play out and then we cut to kavira it's the same scene but obviously from her perspective maybe the way that the lines are set are different like the inflections maybe you know there's more tension whatever um and then after, you know, when when Su Yin tells her, no, I'm not going to march into the Earth Kingdom or into the Bossing Se and rule, you know, maybe that's when we cut from that scene to a different scene of Kavira. And she's really frustrated and she's like, just ugh, she can't understand why Su Yin isn't isn't trying to help more uh, when she has the resources and the political power to do so. And maybe that's when Badar comes in. Like he just is kind of, you know, just chilling and she comes across him or he comes across her and she starts to vent to him. Mm -hmm. And he's like understanding like, yeah, that is weird. Why would my mom not want to do that? Like, I'm totally on your side. And then we can see why they got together. We never understand. Like, why did he, why did he leave with her? This is like his family, his loving, uh, you know, family. And so maybe that could be just a hint of like, oh, he understands her. He's, he believes in her, you know, point of view and he supports Kavira, which is why she, he ends up staying with her. And then we can see from his point of view, like, you know, meeting Kavira or not meeting, but, you know, having yeah. that scene with Kavira and then ultimately deciding that he wants to leave with her. And maybe there's a scene with him and his family saying, bye, I'm going with her. And there could be a huge fight, and it could. I'm just like, oh my god, the potential. Yeah, for no, character there, development. there could have been a lot of potential tapped into with this episode, especially as there is so much time. As Cora, you know, Cora shows up, and pretty much everybody and their grandma is like, "Hey, great, you're here. Now you can kill Kavira." And she's like, <laughs> right. "Wait, what? I'm not here to kill anybody. I'm the Avatar. I'm here for peace." And so, you know, she spends so much time being like, I'm going to go talk to her and then I'm going to come back and talk mm -hmm. to Su Yin. And it very much could have been, like you said, at the very least, if they were going to do this, they could have opened it up to show different perspectives of different people. I mean, they even could have used that time to build more depth into the reason for Kuvira doing what she's doing, other than her being like, pretty much like this, well... You know, we had a hundred different people here in Suyin's private guard to use. We just so happened to pick the one who was a Nazi to send and do this. But technically, we could have picked anybody. It 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 would have been better if instead of it literally being like, "Sorry, we chose an imperialistic psychopath just purely by chance." What it should have been and could have been, in my opinion, is that they could have had. Su Yin be like, no, 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 I don't want to rule the Earth Kingdom and kind of dump this on Kavira and Kavira being like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I only know one way to handle this from a military perspective. We're going to go, we're going to bring, right. bring the show of force. And when she goes to Su Yin and Su Yin's like, no, you're doing this wrong. 
her being like, well, you had the chance to fix it. You put this on me, Miss Rich Lady, too big and important with your family or protecting Zhao Fu to like help people. You just put this on me, and now you're going to tell me how to rule it? You had the chance to mm. rule it. They wanted you to be the queen. You passed it up. I'm going to do it my way. Don't micromanage me. We're done. Like It could have been more of like a a strike against the influential sort of like the the people who were are powerful and could take the reins but instead they just passed the mm -hmm. buck to like the grunt work except kavira eventually right. would have evolved from like the grunt worker into like the well now i'm a leader because all the political right. all the politicians and the important people didn't want to get their hands dirty this was too dirty of a situation for them. They they had to come and actually unite people instead of just winning an election with smiles and votes or being ushered in without earning it like Prince Wu. It would have created complicated mm -hmm. like a more complex character motivation instead of just the really paper thin, oh, I'm uniting everybody. Haha, -ha, not, not quite. I'm secretly a dictator. Pulls off a mask that looks exactly like herself, but with the words <laughs> dictator written on her head. <laughs> like Yeah. Well, so that is really interesting. I honestly never even thought of like that take on it of like maybe she obviously she wasn't within the show, but like I never thought of the possibility of writing it to where she was kind of forced into that position by Su right. Yin. And I think the reason that they did that is one, obviously that would have made Su Yin like kind of irredeemable irredeemable to some people. Because like you do that and now look what happened. And you know, you're kind of the reason that she's in the position that she's in. Yeah, but blah, blah. but Cobra's been responsible for the rise of like two of the four villains in the show, and we still like Cora. Well, yes, but <laughs> it's because she's the she's the main character. We kind of have to, but also, you know, it's never intentional. Whereas that would have been an intentional call, and one that could have had drastic and severe consequences. And also. The fact that it would have made Kavira way too sympathetic for like what she is, what she ends up becoming. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too with a character like this. You can't have her be this like ultra sympathetic, was forced into this position and the power just went to her head and have her straight up like force choking people and sending them to concentration camp. You can't <laughs> do that. I'm sorry. There is a line. And there is a line. I um, just think it would have been more believable than the whole, like we just kind of spun a bottle of which one of the guards are going to become the ruler of the free world. Oh, it's the actual psychopath in the room just because she's like my daughter. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the moral of the story is that who your children date. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that is interesting to think about. Like, maybe it wasn't Su Yin in your, in your scenario. Maybe it's not Su Yin that forces her. Maybe it's President Raiko or, like, the world leaders kind of just pick her because she's the head of Su's guard. And if Su doesn't want to do it, well, why not the next in line, you know? Oh, no, Zahir kinda... was right. The world leaders are to blame for everything. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Is he wrong though? I mean, <laughs> I mean, isn't 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 uh, Kavira just Zahir in reverse? <laughs> like, <laughs> she's, Wait, what do you she's mean? full reverse. Zahir was like, the world leaders are bad, therefore we should have no world leaders. Mm -hmm. And Kavira's like, well, we, the world leaders are bad, therefore there should only be one world leader, and that's me. <laughs> She doesn't want chaos. She wants to bring everyone together in her own image. She wants to reshape the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I mean, and that's the thing. 
And I've said this, I think I said this in a previous podcast episode, but there is so much potential for Kavira as not just an antagonist, which she is a great antagonist, like very, you know, force of nature, very efficient, all that fun stuff. But there's so much untapped potential with her as a character. And there is a difference. And I feel like we see glimmers of that potential in like these scenes, but I want to see it fully. We got fucking Mon's whole flashback backstory. Right. And it was the best part of season one. Like why could we got the beach and Avatar where we got to see all the, you know, these, um, the villain characters or antagonists and we get to flesh them out. We even got, you know, um, uh, well, I'm blanking anyway, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we've had it where, we have flashbacks or we have full episodes devoted to fleshing out the character, the villain characters. Why couldn't we have gotten that with Kavira? She was, she desperately needs it. I'm going to play devil's advocate against myself though, in this scenario (laughs) to answer your question, because everything I just said about like the possibilities of, of Kavira is not that I didn't exactly get creative. I just read between the lines of what was happening in the episode and no matter what mm. way you slice it, I think if you try to add a humanity to Kavira, it kind of makes her instantly super sympathetic. Because, again, her story right now is literally what I said a few times. They picked somebody and they just literally picked the psychopath in the room. But if you give her any more depth than that, you have to understand that she is just somebody who they just dumped all this responsibility on. And the only other way you'd really add any sort of conflict or complexity to her character is by making her against even slightly sympathetic but the only way you do that with the what we have at least with the information we currently have is either she was steered by batar or she was frustrated with having this dropped on her by suyin and unless you drastically change the story as we know it it kind of isn't her fault again they just happen to pick the worst person in the world by chance um, because that's yeah. the weird, and that is the weird thing, like you said, about how she isn't really much of a character. She's an antagonist, but not a character, is just that. She's just evil with no explanation why. There's no no backstory. She's just Emperor Palpatine. We have no story <laughs> why she's the most evil person to walk the face of the earth. She just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sucks because, like, there's such potential for her to have been a great person because obviously she is very passionate about her nation and about the people. But as with all the villains in Korra, she's going about it the wrong way. <laughs> it's like, you could have been a great person. <laughs> you became the very thing you swore to destroy. <laughs> Kavira, you, Kavira. <laughs> you're going down a path I can't follow. <laughs> There's me. Kavira, yeah. you're breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and you're breaking Varric's yeah. neck. You were my daughter, Kavira. I love you. <laughs> so, so here's one. Here's the one only way. I love how this has all been just become one giant <laughs> saving private Kavira, like this entire episode of our podcast. So mm-hmm. here's here's my only possible pitch that like they could have done. Have Kavira mm-hmm. start as this bright-eyed, idealistic, not that she's like, oh, she was, she's the most capable person, she was a natural leader, but have them dump this on somebody who's just very intelligent, very smart, bright-eyed, idealistic, I can change the world, I can do this for the better, 
thanks yes sir yes ma'am i'll take care of that star spangled bright bright-eyed patriot for the earth kingdom yeah have her be some actual little lamb that goes off to do this with the full expectation of waving an earth kingdom flag around and everybody joining her but having the reality of like the pushback maybe even her first uh diplomatic mission going wrong and having her forces be attacked in a actual war and her brutally winning it maybe her realizing that oh this isn't a peace mission to just go and shake hands with everybody and make us friends again this is war and this is conquest and this is bloodshed and battlefields and maybe the mission that she's on changes her and hardens her and kills the idealism that she had and turns her into mm-hmm. this hard cold-blooded person that this is the only way there was success because i did what i had to do to survive even she, she wouldn't be sympathetic but at least she'd be able to shake her fist in people's face and be like you have no idea what i've been through to, to earn what i got you know right that's so funny because literally the breakdown, like obviously not beat for beat, but the breakdown that you just like described of her character as this like starry eyed, you know, want to make the world a better place into this hardened villain is exactly what I wrote for my third wave script for my main character. It's like Walter <laughs> White where, you know, they start as a good guy, yeah. you know, good intentions. And then they slowly, the facade crumbles and they start to become the villain of the story they start as the hero, the end is the villain. And it's very similar because it's also, you know, Kavira is very much a Hitler kind of character, you know? And my character is teaching about Hitler and he becomes Hitler basically. So it's like, <laughs> it's a great parallel the way you were describing it. I was like, that's literally what I wrote for my character. You know, great minds <laughs> think alike, Ms. Millwood. They do. Honestly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all, all that being what it is, one of the other big highlights of this episode asami playing pie show with her dad that was great anyway oh i know it 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 it, it was such a it's such a i don't want to say it's almost like kind of sneaked in the asami storyline it's Mm -hmm. just kind of slid into this episode there's like it's it happens in like three scenes it's like three scenes it's one with her dad the very first conversation it's second time of her watching a dad and daughter in the park Mm -hmm. and it's a third scene where she comes and visits him again Yes. Yeah, it's and it's so weird because this is like the first time she's had an actual and this is really like it's such a weird thing because it's not some big action, you know, that's not political. It's literally just characters and she hasn't really gotten that um, ever since really season one yeah, when it was much. also her dad. Yeah. Um, and the like betrayal that she feels because of what her dad did and all that. Um, and I love it, honestly, like this makes, (laughs) this makes her such a more interesting character and it's, it's done so subtly. Like you said, it's kind of just snuck in there and, but it's done so well. Well, one of the beautiful things about it, the way it's done is number one, as I just illustrated, it's so simple. It's a conversation and then you go, she goes out and sees something and then she comes back with a renewed perspective on the situation. She originally goes in exactly like she explains to him later. She went in wanting her words to hurt him and she succeeded and she was expecting to walk away feeling 
vindicated or that she won something she gained something yeah and instead she just felt sad she just felt Mm -hmm. sad she pushed her father away and hurt him and bear in mind she also didn't need to do it the guy's been rotting in prison for like four years basically at this point almost yeah they really didn't need to do it like again i get it looking for personal closure but again she figured out that you know forgiveness forgiveness is a much different option um yeah and what I think it lends to the character is that it doesn't need to be this long, continuing story stream with her, but it just implants that little thing in our mind every time we see Asami from now on, that's where her character has moved in literally three scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and I I love the way that Avatar and Legend of Korra, like how they play with the theme of forgiveness. And one of the biggest ones is obviously the Southern Raiders um, with Katara forgiving Zuko, but not forgiving, you know, the man that killed her mother Mm -hmm. and like how that was such, I mean, I remember talking about it and being like, that was such a like amazing thing that watching that as a kid, because like I was sure as a kid, oh, it's a kid's show. She's going to forgive him. Like she may be mad, but she'll forgive him. No, no, (laughs) like forgiveness obviously needs to be earned. And it's not something that just happens overnight, you know, instantly, and I love that it did take this long for her to go see him. Like, this is the first time she's seen him since he was arrested. Mm-hmm. And he sent her so many letters that she never opened. And she re- literally returned. Like, that's cold. She returns the letters unopened. Like, but she's totally valid in doing that. He, She does not owe him forgiveness. And he knows it. Mm-hmm. And he even says so. And so to see her be so strong and so willing to forgive like she doesn't just forgive him like she says that she's going to try right. to forgive him you know and that's the beauty thing like the beauty thing the beautiful thing mm-hmm. there we go um is that again they're so good at portraying forgiveness in all of its different stages whether it's instant like with zuko non-existent like with the man that killed Katara's mother or a work in progress like with asami and her father um I just love it. I love it. It's like, like one of those themes that I, I love seeing in just media in general, forgiveness, because it's such a complex topic yeah. and it's very hard to get it right. But Avatar always gets it right. And I love it. Well, and the fact that Avatar also displays it in so many different facets of of in the story, as you talked about with Katara, another example that comes to my mind is Zuko begging for um, Uncle Iroh's forgiveness. Oh, yeah. And when he comes Absolutely. in, he just gets it because... You know, mm-hmm. in that, it, it you know, Avatar illustrates how forgiveness can be free, how love mm-hmm. can overcome hurt and betrayal and things like that, and how forgiveness is the greater power. You know, it's a, it's a many-faceted thing, and sometimes it's years that pass alienated from somebody, and it's a realization that makes you choose it when you don't have to forgive, like Asami. Mm-hmm. It can be something as complex as, like you said, with Katara, where she doesn't forgive, really. You know, mm-hmm. and then... And even with... Sorry, go ahead. And, oh, sorry, just to, just to cut in there for a second. I just thought of another character, like, pretty major, minor character, Jet. Like, yeah. Katara was betrayed by Jet, and she did not trust him when they first got reunited in Ba Sing Se, and it took a lot for her to finally forgive him and see him as a friend again obviously before ultimately dying is jet dead oh, um, <laughs> so sad oh my god um i know my poor prince um 
But yeah, so it's so interesting that they've done that with so many different characters with Katara because she's she's the quickest to, oh gosh, I don't know, because I feel. But like, she's such but, a it, complex but it's so, but, but it's so good because like when the characters in Avatar do forgive or when they are forgiven, I mean, it's like you can just see so so many Julies just fall off their shoulders. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yes. They always. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a pretty good segment into <laughs> American <laughs> Julie. <laughs> We're gonna get all mushy. We keep talking about forgiveness. She, yeah, yeah. Julie and, and Varric are like the super couple of season four. You know, I really thought that I had lost entirely all my super couples. You know, one of the previous episodes we talked about, I was pretty much I had crossed off. You know, I mean, Bolin and Opal are like hardly even a thing because the relationship is so strained in this entire thing. And they're not even together. Um, right. There's no Mako and Asami because apparently they apparently Asami and, and Mako broke up two seasons ago and no one told me. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, uh, there's no more um, uh, Kai and Jinora. There's no. I mean, they're still together. We just won't. but we won't see it anymore. So like, there's yeah, that. I don't see that. But but I'm I'm sorry. Like the the best possibly the best couple in the series is still together and strong and and there's some fire going on there with with Varric and Julie and I don't know. Uh, yeah. I could I I mean I, I could <laughs> yeah. I mean I could tell the Varric in this in the room was getting turned up. Like <laughs> there were two there were too many Varricks. Yes, I love that he uses his and Julie's name as measurements, and they're never consistent. It's like, <laughs> what is this a measurement of? <laughs> he knows because he's a, he's like a stupid genius, <laughs> um, chaotic genius. But uh, yeah, so basically in this episode, we find out that Varric is basically... Oppenheimer, like he is creating the avatar equivalent of the of the atomic bomb yep. like with these spirit vines. And very timely <laughs> we would make that comparison. Um everybody go see Oppenheimer. Um <laughs> it's but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is a Varric approved movie. Um but because he realizes that this is like incredibly dangerous, these spirit vines, and they're very out of control. Like he tries to put a stop to the whole project and Kavira basically threatens his life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ed voices are liars. Um, I do love that exchange though. when you know, he's figuring out what, his, what a conscience is. Cause he just has never had one before. And that's very funny. <laughs> the head um, voice. And then Kavira, yes, the head voices are back. Um, and then Kavira like snaps back with, now there's a voice in my head telling me to drop you on the track. Should I listen? <laughs> like such great i love her such a great line cold, so cold-blooded um, i love it legend of Korra's azula just so cold-blooded so just ice cold yeah azula <laughs> wishes that she could be that controlled though like that mature <laughs> and that um, that cool-headed all the time i don't know that was giving me vibes of like do the tides command this shit <laughs> like, <laughs> but, that, but that's that's her kind of like coding over everything by just being like intimidating and scary all the time you know 
<laughs> terrifying 14 year old whereas but in, in, inside she's like a manic mess but she gets under control by like keeping everybody else scared of her all the time creates distance but like Kaviri literally owns most of the world at this point and she did it just because she's so cool and smart like you know again she's the ultimate girl boss um, join the dark side bowling it's really cool i know and then so on top of it she not only uh you know conscripts uh varic in by force to continue working on the spirit vine weapon um is it this episode or the next episode where bolin gets invited into the inner circle um is this one I'm... right because she sends bolin to like manage the whole like trip to go yes. see Su Yin. Yeah, so Bolin yes. is brought in uh brought into the whole thing too. Yeah, and poor sweet Bolin. Of course he has no idea what's going on. Poor Bolin. It's a total like yeah. <laughs> that whole thing just lasted like a day. <laughs> <laughs> Less than yeah. a day as he says later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um but uh yeah so there's Again, there's so much in this episode. I'm trying to like remember if there's anything that we might have missed. Not, um, not really, honestly. I mean, we, there's all those sublines with Varric and the and the experiment, the experiments on the weapon. Um, there's Asami and her dad. But as you pointed out yourself, the episode is mostly kind of Korra walking back and forth between the two camps. She she talks to she talks to Kavira, and then there's a ceasefire, and then she goes back and talks. To, to Su Yin, and yeah. then she, after talking to Su Yin, she does she go back and talk to Kavira? I'm like, <laughs> so, I don't remember what she does after that, or do I have it backwards? But she, I know she talks, she talks to Su Yin and gets all the dirt. But then she, when she comes back, then looking for Su Yin, and this is absolutely wild to me. They're like, oh yeah, Su Yin's <laughs> gone. She went to sneaked out with her two sons to go to the camp and end it. I'm like, are you insane? At the end of the episode, I was <laughs> like, right. I was like, what the heck? What are you gonna? What are you? What are you doing? You're gonna go assassinate <laughs> the military commander of the entire empire and think that's gonna go okay for you? Surrounded by all of her military and like, not a great plan. <laughs> Even if they <laughs> did it. But like it's, again, like I told you, all the women in the show are like cowboys. They're just gypsy souls. They're just like, surely there's no consequences if we just go in and if she's in their brains, if like we if we murder her, the problem goes away. <laughs> oh, that darn army! Wouldn't it be? <laughs> if we just blew away. Just blew away. Yes. <laughs> if we kill her surely they'll go if we kill the viceroy well, clearly the trade federation droid control ship in the army will be helpless and confused obviously <laughs> well i think that well actually no that's in the next episode but yeah it it's not i mean it's a very good cliffhanger because you're like oh my god that is the stupidest thing you could possibly do you're gonna get everyone killed what are yep. you doing but it is a good cliffhanger um and oh yeah uh one other thing for Varric and julie uh they get separated in, at the end of this episode because kavira like they get caught trying to escape and there's like a whole battle and it's with mecha suit so who cares um so i'm sorry i don't like the mecha suits i yeah. really much prefer just one-on-one -on -one bending battles yeah um but uh yeah so varic bolin julie they try to escape in these mecha suits get caught and they get brought to kavira who wants to send them away on you know to the concentration camps 
Um, and Julie, being the brilliant mind that she is, probably equal to Varric, um, she basically pleads with Kavira to take her back, that she, you know, was loyal to the wrong person, that, you know, Kavira is the smartest bestest person in the whole world i'll be your best friend like yep. please don't send me away um and so stupidly this is the second time kavir has done this actually i think this is the first the second is later um where she just like after a couple sob tears or whatever she just kind of forgives people that have wronged her very much so like why on earth would you take her back <laughs> like it's just I so think, stupid. I think it might play to her weakness which is i genuinely think that kavira like, I'm sorry, Kavira, this is why it won't work between us, darling, is that she is just an absolute uncontrolled narcissist. And I think there's her downfall right there is as long as somebody else pumps her up her ego and pleads and puts mm -hmm. themselves in a submissive position, that's like dangling a carrot that she can't resist. Getting someone oh, yeah. else, someone new to subjugate, to, to stroke her ego is like she can't resist the bait. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's why I think that Julie knew that about her. And that's exactly why she said what she said, the way she said it, you know, literally on her knees begging. Like, I mean, Julie is, Julie is only works for a complete and utter unhinged narcissist. She knows <laughs> exactly. all about them. She knows how to play them like a fiddle. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I love when she's like totally bearing down on Varric. He's <laughs> in the background. Hey, I'm right here. <laughs> Oh, funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, not the thing. Julie. It's a yeah, it's a so great, great it's a great episode. It's a great episode. It's it's pretty solid overall. Um, you know, I think our criticisms of what they did in this episode is less a criticism of the episode itself and more criticism of the overall season of this mm -hmm. episode. If there was an episode to use that was, you know, rife with opportunities to expand on the lore of these characters and and add depth to the situation that way this was the place to do it so it was like a missed opportunity in terms of the overall like story arc of the season but i honestly am not even going to count the, the fact that they were squandered opportunities as like taking off the score of this episode what they did with it you know was was good um it really showed it really showed just how like one of the things I enjoy about the conflicts is that these are like national level conflicts. They're the fates of nations. And I find it an interesting little detail that the, the, the constant screws that the characters are putting into each other on both sides. Because Kaviri says a couple of times to a couple different people, oh, I see your personal feelings are involved in this, your personal feelings. Mm -hmm everybody is like hers aren't <laughs> but that's the thing everybody is motivated by personal feelings none of this mm -hmm. is being considered on a global scale this is all a whole bunch of people whose personal gripes with each other so personal literally like you're dating my son and i don't like you gripes are being worked mm -hmm. out by destroying each other on a military level it's insane the way that people who have too much power make the world suffer for something they should be just in a bar somewhere punching each other over, not killing millions of people. Before. Right, exactly. Like, come on, get it out yeah, of your system so a different way. But I, I, I love that depth added in there. I think there's a lot of subtle things to appreciate about the episode. I'm going to rely on the IMDb on this one. I agree. It's an 8.4 out of 10 for me. 
Um, I'm going to go just a point one higher. I'm going to give it 8.5 out of 10 because I agree with everything you just said. Um, but for me, the gripes of like the potential that this episode presents, they do kind of get me. Like since I've seen this episode multiple times, I'm like, damn it. I wish that we could have seen this. Yeah. Um, but I do love all the character stuff. I love seeing Asami get her own little side story. I love obviously everything more Varric, please. Everything with Varric is incredible. Um, I like seeing the political intrigue, the back and forth with Korra, Kavira and Suyin. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really solid episode. But again, I feel like it could have been like a nine or above if they had done more flashbacks or just less exposition, yeah. you know, telling rather than showing. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's just me. So 8.5 out of 10. Very good episode. Good build up to the next episode. And, you know, that brings us to the next episode, which is episode six, The Battle of Zhao Fu. Can I can I interject real quick that this episode, halfway through the episode, I thought to myself, it should be called the battle for Zhao Fu. Because like Zhao right? Zhao oh Fu doesn't really get involved in the battle. It's two people fighting over Zhao Zhao Fu. I literally that's so funny because I thought the exact same thing when I was like doing the script. I was like, is it for Zhao Fu or of Zhao Fu? And I thought that it was for because that makes more sense to me given like what you just said. So that's so funny that you picked up on that too. Yeah, like Zhao Fu doesn't fight. (laughs) Like they're battling for the control of Zhao Fu, obviously Kavira's army and Su Yin is fighting for Zhao Fu, like to protect it. But there is the battle does not actually go to Zalfu. You know, it's like outside of it. Um, it would have been really cool though if we had seen that, honestly. Like instead of just it out on a big open field, like if they actually went into the city and were using metal bending everywhere, that would have been sick. Right. But uh, oh no, we're, we we honestly, haven't even gotten past the title of the episode. We're already calling out like oh, so many missed opportunities. <laughs> That's so funny. Lord in heaven. Let's just get into it. We're already ripping this episode okay. apart faster than Cora got ripped apart on the battlefield. Uh, the episode is written by Tim Hedrick. It's directed by Mel Zwire, animated by Studio Mir. And this episode aired November 7th, 2014. The IMDb. That's Rachel's birthday. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, election night. My sister's birthday. <laughs> that was such a random call out. Happy birthday, Rachel. No. Right. Yeah, here's the battle near Zalfu. Um and the IMDB <laughs> rating of the battle about Zalfu is eight point five <laughs> <laughs> is eight point eight point five out of ten. How about them? Fun facts, Amanda. Alrighty. Um our first fun fact is the banners adorning Zalfu following its fall to the Earth Empire read May Kavira live for ten thousand years, a phrase often said in reference to the Emperor in ancient China. I actually knew that one. Um, wow. Yeah. And again, the very much pooling from real life history. Um, but uh, wow. <laughs> um, our second fun fact is this is Iki and Huan's. I always say wrong. Last speaking role of the series. <laughs> Not Huan. Oh, <laughs> no. My favorite. Dum, dum, oh, my dum. God. His... Another one. Bites the dust. Dum, dum, dum. No, but listen, because like his last, what a last line to go out on. It's one of my favorites in the entire You're crushing my individuality. (laughs) Get your hands off me. You're crushing my individuality. (laughs) I love it. So funny. Uh, 
<laughs> and then uh, our third and final fun fact, Derek stating that Julie's name would be synonymous with betrayal is similar to how the names Judas and Delilah became synonymous with traitor in many languages and cultures. My favorite <laughs> line. Will be synonymous with betrayal. My favorite line in possibly all of Legend of Korra is, hear about that guy? He varied himself because some girls Julie'd him. Julie'd him. <laughs> I love that you can just fill in the blanks on like what that what those words are supposed to mean. <laughs> he varied himself. <laughs> that's that's blew himself up. That's my new that's my new like substitutionary word. Not unalived, not self checkout. It's going to be varied. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> also, can I just say I hate 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 the phrase unalived so much you know why it you know why it is it's annoying but like you know why it is because of the flagging of words on a certain social media platform oh i know but like you couldn't think of anything better than unalived or unalived it's so stupid it reminds me of like when kids shows can't say die or dead or kill so they come up with these like bullshit excuse words like oh he's gone Oh, he's been destroyed. Like that's any better? <laughs> what? Well, well, fun- he's been obliterated. And, well, and the funny thing is that I felt like they were doing that for some weird reason in Legend of Korra, where uh, when uh, Kuvira makes her announcement to the citizens of Zalfi, she's like, "She tried to take me out," and I'm like, "To take you out, like to dinner." <laughs> Like, like, why are we so afraid suddenly to use the word kill or like assassinate? Like, <laughs> right, which they literally, I, I think it was more, well, because they literally used the word assassinate multiple times in season two, remember? Yeah. It's like, that was the whole they were trying to assassinate the yeah. president. And they say it, so I don't know why. Maybe it was just like a formal thing. It's just like, weird. She didn't want to seem tacky. It's so weird. <laughs> weird um <laughs> we just got way off track we're done what, with the fun what fact she should have said what she should have said was suyin tried to varic me in my sleep she's like you all know what it means you all know what it means before this day is done oh my god now you all better julie yeah. out here right now or i'm gonna varic each and every one of you Oh, very you, you, you ever see the clip of Homelander from the boys? It's like, I'll laser you. I'll laser every single one of you. I'll varic every single one of you. But to be fair, there's not a ton to talk about in this episode because it's like literally just two giant action scenes. Like, that's that's pretty much it. Whereas last episode was nonstop character moments. This is, you got... Actually, sorry, it's three giant action scenes. You've got the attempted assassination of Hey, hey, Kuvira attempted by... varicking. Don't use the A word. Okay, my bad. The attempted varicking of Kuvira by Su Yin and her twin boys. Oh, they're so hot. Um, <laughs> the thirst over <laughs> winging way. Um, and then you've got, obviously, the main battle, which is between Korra and Kuvira on the battlefield outside of Zaofu. And then you've got um, Bolin and Varric escaping the train <laughs> yeah, okay. before it blows up. Okay, you want my hot take on this episode? <laughs> yes. My hot take on this episode is that Varric and Bolin are the A-plot. Oh, I mean, for sure. <laughs> they have the best part. They are the A-plot the a of this episode. They have the most interesting one. It has the most tension on it. 
And let's be honest, it's the only one where characters were any of the main characters were actually going to maybe die. Oh yeah. Excuse me. Get Varric. <laughs> oh no, we're gonna blow up. But we had a pretty good run, didn't we? I like running. I'm still running. <laughs> right. I mean, it was the. Oh I mean, God. I really felt like compared to like Cora getting beaten up for the 18th time in the show. <laughs> like I really feel like the the Varric and Bolin part of the story was the only one that really had any Julie to it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree because, like, so here is why I absolutely love this, like, this part of the episode. And it's, like, one of my favorite just Varric and Bolin sections of the whole season because they are together a lot this season and I love their pairing. Yeah. Um, but this is probably my favorite section of it just because when I first watched it, this episode, I... At first, I was like, Batar, I was like, why? Like this, I should never have doubted Varric. <laughs> but like, I was like, I literally asked the same thing that Batar did. Why do you have a timer and a remote? <laughs> when he explained it, I'm like, oh, actually, that makes sense. <laughs> like, you thought of it. And, you know, well, at first I felt the timer, but then I thought you could drag me off the train. So then I made a remote. But then I thought, well, now do I need the timer? There was that <laughs> like, moment. So I've, I've never related more in my ADHD brain to anything <laughs> as much as I related to Vera coming up with that plan. Like, do I do a timer? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> or do I use yeah. a remote? I'll just do both. At least I'll be covered that way. <laughs> right. I'm covering all my bases. Um, and then when they actually do evacuate the train and they like unhook the cars, I was like, okay, cool. So they can just like use, cause they're at the front of the train yeah. and they, they've got the controls. They can just go off and they'll join Zalfu or Republic city or wherever. But no, he actually rigged the fucking thing to explode. And I'm like, Frederick, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I genuinely was so surprised that like he, he was going to do it. He was going to blow himself up. <laughs> And I was like, what? I mean, of course he was oh going to barrack himself and he was going to barrack, you know, everyone else too. Because, <laughs> because, think about this. The man is so smart. If they called his bluff, he might as well do it. Because number one, they would just kill him in Bolin anyway. Mm-hmm. And number two, if he's going to pull the trigger, he might as well take out, like, basically the second in command true you know and it would at least yeah. demor- you would either demoralize or destabilize kavira yeah exactly and again never doubt varic he's always got a plan up his sleeve yeah it's um, brilliant so, yeah so that was like genuinely shocking when you know i was watching it for the very first time i was like wow he really just tried to do that. They're going to pull another Amon and Tarlock and blow up some main characters. Also, don't you no. love how like all the women in the show are like, no, we need to find diplomatic solutions. Or they're like, no, let's have deep, heart-rending scenes together. Or they're like, no, let's have a fight on the battlefield for the fate of the world. And when you take any of the boys of Avatar to get, put them together, it's either Aang and Sokka using their last brain cell yeah. to like write letters between Katara and Toph, or it's Bolin <laughs> yeah. and Varric, like the dangerous leading the blind to like mm. blow themselves up in order to <laughs> yep, bluff to in it. order to bluff their captors to let them go like this is this is this is like the, the the when you take too much testosterone and put it in the room this is what you get this is the utter stupidity mm. that happens chaos and stupidity <laughs> um dangerous combination but uh yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And there's so many funny lines in the entire scene, like too many to count, honestly. So good. But uh, yeah, 
the main one being, you know, the whole Varing Julie line. Um, but uh, yeah, and then it, the ship, they're not ship, the uh, train does end up blowing up, but Bolin last second is able to get them out. And he finally did the thing. He finally and, uh, the, did the thing, like running joke with, yeah. with Vera, because Julie always knew to do the thing. He never had to tell her what thing. Yeah, she always knew. She was always following his lead. Yes, and Bolin's been struggling to assist Varric and never knows what he needs or what the thing is. And he finally does it. I'm so proud of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's so great. Well, then on the, <laughs> on, in, the in the B plot, you've got Korra. In the B plot. <laughs> in, in, in a sort of a like David and Goliath sort of battle here where it's like, oh, instead of our armies fighting... Which is like a very, which is which is a very kind of clever, like oh, instead of you fighting Zafu, there's Zafu really has nobody. They have like, no, there's no <laughs> one, right. there's no one protecting it really. There's, the entire there's, military left with Kavira. <laughs> yeah, there's no fight. There is no fight. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And so the only person who's out there is Korra, and Korra goes out there with like the devil and the angel on her shoulder because on one hand you've got mm-hmm. Opal who's just full of bad advice this season just the worst and then you've got on the other hand janora you know fairy janora who's just on her shoulder being like no don't kill them there has to be a peaceful way talk about and she's like the voice of reason the there's the only person who's taking the whole airbending thing or the airbending over any of it seriously like Honestly. why why is no, why okay. is opal the worst airbender and <laughs> No, but honestly, I was 100% on Opal's side. Like, obviously, she she was in the wrong in the sense that she took a vow when she became an airbender of non-aggression. Like, they're pacifist, obviously. We've made that clear a million times with Aang. Um, but I was like, no, she's totally right. Just kill her ass. <laughs> Why are we... Well, because, there, like I said, the thing is that this is, a, this, is, this, is, this is very similar, and this is not a hard disagree, but this is very similar mm-hmm. to the whole Mako should have told Korra that they broke up. There's way more mm-hmm. on the line. In that case, it was the fate of the entire world, but there is, there is a, this is a much more tenuous situation. Opal is prepared to only because like you kidnapped my mom and you stole my brother away let's a hundred percent start a battle that will kill everyone in the city like kid there's thousands of people whose lives are on the line you're not just there seeing a mean girl in walmart and yanking her weave because you hate her like you can't just do this girl has an army that has taken over the world on your doorstep you can't just be like let's kill her and then they think that they won't reduce you know the city to a giant crater without the spirit through through super weapon bomb thingy yes they will varic the entire city no. yeah no i mean i get it but like yeah it, it, yeah in the I'm overarching sure. moral scheme of things yes does kavira deserve to get like absolutely varicked by cora get the absolute julie kicked out of her yes 100 yes. percent. but like it's not gonna happen here this is not the place of the time true yeah but damn the fight <laughs> because the fight cuts between you know cora and uh kavira and uh oh my god bullen and i was gonna say mako varic um yeah, so it's like cutting between these two, you know, different storylines. 
But the fight itself between Korra and Kavira, even though, again, it's very sad to see Korra get her ass beat so much. But again, it's also very realistic. Um, like, it's a great fight. I love it. I could watch it over and over again. I've watched like animatics and like the sketch version of the fight. And it's so good. <laughs> the animation is very, very good. And you could tell during the fight, a commentary on the fight itself, you could tell during the fight that Korra was not going to win it for one main reason, which is that Kavira was using her bending to bend in creative ways. And anytime mm -hmm. anybody gets in, in, anytime anybody in the series gets into a fight where they go, throw the rock, throw the air, throw the mm -hmm. earth, like, like throw the fire. It's just like, you're not doing anything with it. You're just using it all like, like a, like a ball that you're throwing at it, at them. Like just, mm -hmm. just don't do something creative. Come on, do the thing, you know? And she, <laughs> right. and Cora didn't do the thing. No, no. And, and I do love like how creative they got with um, Kavir and her bending, like from literally shifting the ground in underneath yes. Corus, which is which is a top, which is around. which is a tough move. Yes, it is. Um, to you know, using her metal sheets that she bends with to you know lift her up, slam her down, like just so many creative ways and like also god this this one particular move like makes me cringe in a good way i'm like oh god that looks like it hurt when she blinds cora and then shoots a giant brick directly into her face yeah. i'm like jesus yeah that hurt the sound effect is so brutal um i i can believe that i didn't see like blood just streaming down her nose she definitely broke her nose yeah though. that fight deserved but, uh, i'm sorry to say it this way but like the fight though deserved a little blood like the, the fact oh that no it, for it sure it needed a little bit of punch to really show what was going on because she got beat good and with like rocks and metal oh, yeah. this is no like oh no i got scorched with fire i got slapped with water and i'm down for the count like you're getting punched in the face yeah, speaking of water, did you notice that Korra did not use water once the entire fight? Well, there is no water around. I mean, I know, and I'm so mad that she doesn't carry a water pouch. You're from the water drive, girl. What is, why don't you like using water? It's my favorite element to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me so sad. I, but it is kind of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Oh, I was just going to say, it is kind of interesting that, you know, obviously when we first meet Korra in season one, her main uh, bending is fire. She uses that the most. Um, but by the end of this season, by the well, by the end of the series, really, it's fire and air are her two most used elements. Like Earth is pretty, pretty frequently used because it's mostly set in the Earth Kingdom. Right. And then water, almost non-existent. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but it is cool that you know the element that she couldn't bend in all of season one became one of her most used elements by season four mm -hmm. that you know again that shows gradual growth and like you don't even really notice it until you notice it and right. you're like oh wow she's using a lot of air in this battle. you can't like, unsee okay. it once you see it <laughs> right um especially in the final battle oh my god the way she uses airbending in the final battle some of my favorite shots in the entire show that's all i'll say um yeah but, yeah uh, yeah, but no, this fight is really, really good. Um, I love how brutal it is. I love that it goes on for a while. And something that I really love about just Korra as a character, and it's shown to great effect, in my opinion, in this fight by itself, is that whereas Aang, if Aang got hurt during a fight, he'd be out for the count. Like, he would take a while to recuperate and get back on Aang, his feet. Aang, Aang was a glass cannon, for sure. I mean, he was powerful bender, insanely powerful, but still a 12-year-old kid. 
Yeah, exactly. He did not have the resilience and the the getting back up after being beaten down so much that Cora has. Like almost literally Cora, like obviously she takes a lot of bad blue blows blows um this entire fight. And there are certain times where she immediately gets back up. Like it didn't even happen. Mm-hmm. And there are others where she takes really bad hits and she has to like, you know, compose herself, but she still almost immediately gets back up. Mm-hmm. And I love that about her because not only does that mean that we get longer fights with her because she isn't immediately out for the count like Aang would be where, you know, Katara or Toph would have to come in or Zuko and like fight for him. Until he could but... like drag himself back up and get back in Right. <laughs> I immediately thought of the Crossroads of Destiny where, you know, he gets out for the count after fighting Azula mm-hmm. and then Katara has to come in and right. fight her. Like, um, but uh, yeah, so... I do love that. I love that she's so resilient. Like, you know how they have those YouTube shorts where they like compare characters mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you know, agility, resilience, yeah. like, you know, power. Cora would 100% win resilience. She oh, is sure. a, <laughs> the girl is a tank. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, just physically, she's just, you know, very strong, physically strong. I mean, yes. people multiple times point out like how muscular and, and, and just big and strong she is. Yes. But I do love that. Um, and is, was there anything else about this fight that you wanted to talk about before we moved on? No, not particularly. All right. <laughs> great fight, great animation, great music. Yep. <laughs> um, but of course, we know that she's going to lose basically immediately. Yep. Um, and she does. And uh, because Janora and Opal, they kind of interfere with the fight. Um, because Kavira is literally about to, she's about to do what she was going to do on the target dummy. She was going to skewer her with these sharpened metal sheets and, uh, they stop her by using some airbending and that breaks the whole treaty that they are not treaty, but the agreement yeah, yeah. that, uh, Cora and Kavira had. And yeah, so they attack and the girls hold the, hold off the army with the airbending and Milo <laughs> and, uh, and Iki come to save them. And yeah, we didn't talk about the opening scene with Kavira being uh, almost assassinated. <laughs> I don't know if that's like particularly important, but but like I mean, we ca- we, we kind of touched on it though. But like, yeah, it was real dumb. <laughs> As I said the whole thing was a fool's errand from the very start. Like, what in the world are you doing? Bad reasoning for doing um, it. Like bad outcome if you succeeded, and bad outcome if you failed. Just all around a bad plan on Suyin's part. Like yeah. a, again, like I'd said, there's so much people at, of people acting like for, on the most personal level of their emotions. And yeah, sure, like I get it that there's like really it's a lose lose situation because Kavira's there. But man, like everyone just makes the whole situation a hundred times worse with everything they do. <laughs> she tries to assassinate right. her. It turns out to be Julie, and man, mm-hmm. like they just. <laughs> I guess Suyin literally got Julie at the start of the episode. She did. I'd love to see it. Um, and then the whole episode just kind of ends with Zhao Fu being claimed by Kavira and her army and the Beifong family, everyone but Batar Jr., being taken into custody. Um, and then uh, the at the very end, the, literally the last scene is... Kavira talking with Batar and Julie and basically offering Julie to become Batar's assistant in helping with the, you know, the vine power, right. atomic bomb, whatever, the spirit vines. 
And then we end on an ominous note. And I wonder if you can figure out what this means without seeing. But the last line of the episode is Kavira. And she says, begin dismantling the domes. Obviously, the giant metal domes that close over Zaofu at the end of every day. Um, did you, did that line like, like stand out to you? Like, can you think of why that might be happening? <laughs> I, I mean, not really. I'm assuming she's going to dismantle them and use them in some way, shape or form with a combination of the whole super weapon. That's like the mm. best I, this is the best I got is that in some way, shape or form, she intends to use them to adapt them for however she wants to use this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. Uh, the only reason I asked is because, well, first of all, when they reveal what it is that they use the domes for, <laughs> it was like a <gasps> moment. Um, okay, well, good. But well, don't also, spoil any of it then, because I want to be like no, 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 super no. shocked. I want to I wanna ride that same train. But also, I thought, because I wasn't even thinking about that, I was thinking that she only wanted to dismantle the domes to, like, open up the city so that her army could, like, attack basically or like inhabit the city but no it's not what it was yeah um but uh yeah so that's pretty much all of the episode uh nice what 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 would you rank it man well the episode is this one's kind of funny because you know again there's a lot of battle in it uh with cora and uh but it was good as the fight is the fact that it was a really a foregone conclusion took the drama out of it for me um again Mm -hmm. it was to me it was while beautifully animated and beautifully choreographed uh just a superb bit of fighting especially as it captured the nuance of the fact that kuvira isn't there trying to absolutely annihilate Korra. she's there to humiliate her and break her down Mm -hmm. and so it was cool to see a fight that they weren't going all out because number one Korra had really no idea what in the world she was doing um, but two, that Kavira, right. like, again, was toying with her the entire time. So you weren't going to see her just, you know, shoot her little discs through Korra like bullets and just end the fight, even though she literally could have done that a hundred times. That would have been awesome. <laughs> like, come on. Um, but so Varric and Bolin and all of the their antics, both the funny and the dramatic and everything in between with them carried the episode for me. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag part, some part of it. I was like, okay, this is cool, but like, what's really going to happen? I knew they weren't going to beat it and stop her army. So I knew they were going to get Zalfu mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and so like one part of the episode was kind of predictable, but the other part was like really not predictable because with Varric, nothing is predictable. <laughs> well, first of all, well, first of all, with Varric, we well, first of all, with Varric, any, all things are possible. So write that down. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Do all things and so it's it's a bit of a mixed bag i guess between the two like that's why i say it's gonna seem funny for me to say this but the episode just on varick and bolin alone for me is makes it like an 8.7 interesting so so that would be your your total like for for both halves of the episode 8.7 probably my average out 8.7 like varic is okay. like a strong nine and like the core <laughs> the core stuff is like somewhere around in an eighth the low eights gotcha um i really love this episode uh this is definitely one that i i've rewatched a bunch of times i love the action i love that when we think all is lost for Korra during the battle, she actually goes into the Avatar state finally, and she sees her spirit self. We didn't even mention that. 
that shocked me. I was like, oh my God, no, I thought we were over this, Cora. Like you got the poison out. Right. <laughs> and, like it was so shocking. But again, it shows pro like progression and healing from trauma is not linear. Like she may have gotten the poison out, but she is still traumatized. Um, and I love how they showed that in the battle and that's what causes her to ultimately lose. Cause she would have killed her right then and mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt, but so I love the battle, obviously Varric Bolin, perfect matching. I love the train sequence. Again, it was so shocking to me when I watched it for the first time. Um, and I do like the opening espionage, you know, trying to assassinate Kavira. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so for me, this is like a solid nine out of 10. Wow. No, yeah. there's lots of things to like about it for sure. Um, the episode ends then on such an, you know, uh, as many of these episodes do after a bit, they reach the sort of mid season climax. And then it's like, okay, what's next? Where are we going from here? Where's the story going to go next? Now that Kavira has Zhao Fu and what is there more to do? You know, what's the turn? Right. What's the turn going <laughs> to be? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe we have, have we? So did we drop the ring in Mordor like halfway through the movie? <laughs> what? So the time just going home? Yeah. Well, you know what? If they if the ring was given to Kavira, she would have had it in Mordor in 20 minutes, believe me. <laughs> right. So yeah, so excited to see what happens next and, and where Kavira's reign of terror will go next. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.